0: Welcome back to another week on the Catholic toolbox the art of practical catholicism I'm your host and founder George Manasseh, he, as we equip you with practical tools to live your catholic faith in our modern world of today and while this is the very last episode of 2022 what a year it's been and it's it's such a pleasure to to wrap up the year with no other than the uh, Dr Robert Haddad it's such a pleasure welcome back aboard here for yeah, the Thanks
1: very much George uh, it's good to see you get into the Christmas spirit.
0: Yeah, I am. I, mean, I think uh, I haven't been in the Christmas spirit; uh, <laughs> I've just been too busy for the last uh, three weeks. But you know, it's time. I'm to...
1: not. I'm not sure if that's the right city for appropriate background, but that's
0: all right. Some <laughs> friends. Uh, look, uh, the the idea I sort of had there with the with the background was, uh, uh, which bridge you going to cross? What 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 path? Sort of the pathway, the vocation. And uh, All right. I've, spilt, I've spoiled the topic for tonight. And that is, what is a vocation? And mm. uh, it's funny because I often have discussions with different friends, you know, lunch clubs and, and little lunch get-togethers. And often we debated about what a vocation is. Uh, and if certain groups in the church... Are a real vocation or not and we'll talk a little bit about that later uh, but then we and then we got into the the underlying discussion that is what is a vocation is there a dogmatic definition of what a vocation is and and when, when we think about it, there's a vocation that we all have to holiness to become saints but there there is a vocation to the priesthood is there's, there's an ontological change in your soul but then there's ambiguity around different other groups there so so we want to go straight into the topic here today. What is a vocation? Does the church, Dr. Robert, that give us a dogmatic definition of what a vocation is? Um, and let's go straight into the theology. Well,
1: I don't think we have a dogmatic definition from the church, but we do have a definition. Um, I mean, dogmatic definition means uh, a teaching of the church at the highest, most solemn level, either a papal definition or a conciliar definition that's been ratified by the by a pope uh, but we have a common understanding of what vocation means and it's derived from the latin word vocari which means a calling so a vocation is a calling from god um, and i think from this at this moment i'll say we should not put a limited or restrictive view of what a vocation is there are many many vocations there are as many vocations as there are callings from god to particular actions functions lifestyle uh missions etc so anything that's a calling from god is a vocation
0: excellent excellent so hmm. in the general sense we're all uh we're all called to become saints and save our soul yeah Well, that's the universal call to holiness.
1: And Second Vatican Council emphasised that. Um, uh, The Second Vatican Council didn't invent that. There's always been a universal call to holiness. And Second Vatican Council is basing itself on on Scripture. You know, be holy for I am holy. We get that in the Old Testament. We see it repeated by St. Peter in in his epistle. So all human beings, um, whoever they may be, are called by God to holiness and and the Christian sense called by Jesus Christ to imitate him. So that's applicable to every person, whoever is created. Of course, how that looks, how each person imitates Christ will vary because Christ is the exemplar. And but there's many ways in which we can imitate or reflect the exemplar. There's no restriction on that either. We look at that, we see that in the lives of the saints. So many different types of lives, so many types of lives that we can imitate, that we can admire, if not imitate. Some of those lives are very rigorous, uh, very exceptional, uh, and in some sense, in the modern world, somewhat impractical. But to be admired, nevertheless. Um, yeah, so the universal call to holiness, it was good to see the Second Vatican Council re-emphasize that because maybe in some mindsets, you know, holiness was you know seen to be restricted to priests or nuns and religious. And if any one lay person practiced a certain level of holiness,
0: it was the expectation or they should go towards the priesthood or religious life. Mm. It's that ultra-clericalism that probably needed to be weeded out where and the re-emphasis on the laity. Uh was there. That, that's what, one of the great things of the Second Vatican Council, the universal court of holiness, that re-emphasis on that. Um but when we think of a vocation, can we just say anything is a vocation? Uh, well, if um, I to say
1: know, to you, let's let's go to one extreme. Let's go to an extreme here. Who who picks up? So there are a certain group of men who pass my house every Friday morning. They're called garbage collectors. Right? Now, we need garbage collectors, don't we?
0: Yeah.
1: Society needs garbage collectors. Now, we as Catholics, we don't ordinarily, uh, normally view garbage collectors as as a profound vocation. Um, But there are people who are called to them. There are people who carry it out. uh, And we need them. Society needs garbage collectors. So if I was... Uh, in that role, in that work of a garbage collector, it would be a vocation. And I'm called to be uh, a, a great garbage collector. It might sound funny. It might be rather humorous. If I'm a garbage collector, I have to do my job properly. I have to be on time for work. I have to go. Drive through all the designated streets that are allotted to me. I have to stop at every house with a red bin. I have to collect that red bin, put that garbage properly in the truck, drive off to the next house. Because there are circumstances where, you know, I'll come, I wake up in the morning and I see that the garbage hasn't been collected properly, hasn't been collected at all, maybe. So is that a good garbage collector? No. There are people called to be garbage collectors, and if we are called, we are, we glorify God in doing that work with integrity, authenticity, um, and that goes with any particular uh, trade or function in the secular world as well as the religious world.
0: Absolutely. So we could say that our jobs are a vocation.
1: Yes, there's no doubt about that. About thirty years ago, when I was uh, as still a young teacher. And I was thinking about priestly life, even religious life. Someone I was associating with said, oh, you become, join us. Become a monk like us. Um, uh, you, you should. Be. That's a vocation. Teaching is not a vocation. And I shook my head at the time. I shake my head even more rigorously now. How could anyone say that teaching is not a vocation? Of course it is. We know St. Paul enumerates teaching, among other things, with preaching, with miracle working and administration uh, and places teaching in that as a clear vocation. Um, teaching, you could be just teaching mathematics, not necessarily teaching religion, theology or philosophy, right? Uh, we would see teaching theology and philosophy as clear vocations because they serve directly the formation of people in their faith. But, you know, if I was to teach maps. I was to teach English, geography, history. That's a vocation as well. And the same principles apply. I am to find holiness, happiness, and my pathway to heaven by fulfilling the obligations of uh, what's necessary to be a good, a great geography, history, maths, English teacher, etc.
0: Okay, let's then, uh, it's great that you mentioned that that there's that little bit more of a difference or a distinction in doing something that's directly the work of God or the church um in teaching religion that's distinctive from geography. is Is there a distinction? Is there a higher level of vocation in teaching religion in that exam in that instance there?
1: Well it's teaching religion, teaching the faith is of course it of course is teaching a higher science, a supernatural science, yeah okay. Um, And so for me personally, well, I'm a religion teacher and I'd rather be a religion teacher than a geography teacher, but we do need geography teachers, people do need to know about the world and understand the natural have an understanding of our world and the fact that we live in a in a country it's, it's called australia it's a continent it has capital city a capital city has various other large cities it's in this part of the world in the southern hemisphere the the world is round we've got all these other continents and countries we do it's necessary, necessary to know those things someone has to teach those things someone who is teaching those things is in a vocation and sure it might pertain simply to the natural um, and that's not as high level as elevated as teaching supernatural truths but never nevertheless the supernatural truths are taught building on natural truths that we should also know and understand so they're complementary and that's we go we look at a catholic school a good catholic school would have good religion teachers most importantly, would have good English, maths, science, history, geography, teachers, food tech, woodwork, you name it, okay? Because the Catholic faith is about forming the whole person, uh, physically, uh, intellectually, psychologically, and most important, spiritually. But it's a whole package, and different people contribute to the creation of that whole package. And all those people are called by God, to, to those particular tasks and to carry out those tasks authentically with integrity. Uh, and again, for each one of those people, there that's their particular road to happiness in heaven.
0: Excellent. And now let's speak about, so we, we have the general vocation. Let's speak about the different uh, charisms within the church life or ecclesi- the ecclesiastical structures. When we say we're discerning a vocation, And we're entering the door, following the bridge that's behind me of trying to discern the vocation. That should include uh, whatever charism you might join, if you particularly join an order or something, and also what job you might do. So in that sense, when we say we discern a vocation, should that include uh, the broad spectrum? Let's say of somebody young that's thinking about what they're going to do in life. Does that cover everything? Well, let me focus on your point about
1: charisms. Okay. We'll go to charisms. All, char- all charisms somehow or, or originate from God through Jesus Christ. And each charism is a particular way in, of following Jesus Christ. Now, let's look at two in particular. Dominicans, Franciscans, they both came into the world roughly at the same time through St. Dominic Guzman, St. Francis of Assisi. God raised both up at the same time, particular period of history in the Catholic Church with its strength and its weaknesses and its crises at the time. We find that you'd find that there are Dominicans who are preaching and teaching. There are Franciscans who are preaching and teaching. Which of those two orders, which of those two charisms is better known for being an order of preaching and teaching? The Dominicans. The Dominicans also practiced, uh, lived out of our poverty. They are mendicants. Originally, they were strict mendicants. They were beggars, right? Um, the Franciscans were known more for their lives of poverty, St. Francis of Assisi marrying lady poverty, for example, living out lives of simplicity and humility and poverty. But uh, the, they did it with a greater emphasis than the Dominicans, while the Dominicans and the Franciscans, who were both teaching and preaching, the Dominicans did that with a, a, a subtly greater level of, of distinction than the Franciscans. Um, I think the charisms are beautiful. Uh, there are so many charisms in the church. And it's like the church being a garden with many different flowers, all in the same soil, all in the same yard, okay, Um, all in the same house, the same household. Uh, But they do all reflect, they all do have different perfections. All those perfections originate from God, and they all reflect God in one or more different ways. For us, when we're called, sometimes the the road of vocation is not as simple or as easy as, as that picture behind you, the Golden Gate Bridge, very straight and narrow over very calm waters. Uh, it's like that for some. It's not like that for everyone. Some people struggle to discern what their vocation is, and some people, and some people I think, overly struggle and make it overly complicated for themselves. Um, we can talk about how one can discern their vocation. Um, and what are the telltale signs that they have discovered their vocation? I think that's important. We'll look at that I'm sure in the next few minutes. Um, and I part of that is what particular charism what particular way I will follow Jesus Christ
0: now, see yeah this is this is what I want to understand that. <clears throat> by virtue of a particular charism such as the dominicans or franciscans or any other order in the church or religious orders does it so could we say that other things that are codified by the church on an ecclesiastical level could be vocations such as say if you have an informal group of people meeting and they live a certain spirit you know and they meet once a week or they are lay people or the uh, people in they camp- would be vocations. They would be vocations. Lay people who are
1: working in the world. They could be married. They might not be married. Well, that's a vocation in its own right, of course, as well. Marriage, being called to lay single life, is also a vocation. Especially when we consecrate that, we dedicate that to God. And I might be lay and single, lay and married their vocation but i'm also doing something else in life how am i supporting myself how am i supporting my family i'm working i'm earning an income that work itself is a vocation as well i'm called to single life that's a vocation i'm called to marriage life and a family that's a vocation i'm also called at the same time to work here to do this task i might be working in a bank might be working in a school i might be working in a hospital I, I might be working for government, all right? Whatever, whatever. They are also vocations. If you are work, if you're lay, and you are in, in some, you have some contact, or you belong to some association of the faithful, which have uh, particular rules, um, um, and they have regular meetings, regular study groups, regular prayer sessions. That's a vocation. You're called to that. You're called to re- re- reflect Christ to live out your Christian life in that particular way, um, and, and and the canon law reflects that. The canon law ha- has laws regulating, of course, the episcopate, the priesthood, religious orders, associations of Christ's faithful, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's recognised by the church. Um, so I, again, it's 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 going back to a point I made earlier. Let's not place such limits on the definition of vocation and the types of vocations that
0: God calls people to. So let's set a criteria um, or some parameters on a vocation because obviously me getting up in the morning and going and, going to a particular uh, restaurant for lunch, that can't be a vocation. That could be maybe God's will, (laughs) or it has to be... That's that's you carrying out a natural function to sustain your natural life.
1: Mm. And, of course, we're all called... uh, I mean, by virtue of being created, we're called to live that out. Um, I wouldn't call that a, a, a vocation as such. It's something essential, part of our nature as human beings. Otherwise, we know what happens. We, we become weak, sick, uh, we die. I mean, it's ridiculous if we don't carry out those functions in our natural lives. But you're going out to lunch, um, taking time off from doing what? What were you doing that day beforehand? What did you start doing in the morning before you had lunch? You were actively engaged in something. What was that activity? Was it a hobby? Well, hobbies aren't vocations, strictly speaking. But you will maybe engage in some type of permanent work, um, some task that's okay. important—you, to you, your family, uh, your business, your income,
0: uh, the life of the church, etc. Were their vocations? Okay, so uh, that, that's what I wanted out of you—the the, the the way which we could define what 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 we could categorise as a vocation or not. So be, there'd be have to be be some permanent permanency to what you're doing uh, or consistency. There has to be
1: some habit, habit about it, something habitual, something regular. Okay. Um, you know, I go to a football game once in my life. It was that a vocation? No, it's not a vocation. It's a recreation. It's It's an activity you do for pleasure It's it's an incidental part of your life. How are you living out your life on a regular basis? That would be your vocation. That's how...
0: There have to be some regularity or permanency there. And the second would be, okay, the very nature you just mentioned of recreation, even if you permanently and regularly went played soccer as part of a team, could that be a vocation? Or does it have to be something of supernatural... Uh,
1: Look at what we just just went through. We just went through a Soccer World Cup. What Mm. did we see? We saw Lionel Messi and Argentina win the World Cup. Mm. Uh, Lionel Messi's been playing soccer since he's probably five years of age. So he's 35 now. He's been playing it for 30 years. There's something habitual. There's something regular about that. Is playing soccer sinful? The answer is no. Okay? But is this... A vocation, it is for him because that's how he earns his income, that's how he makes his living, that's how he supports himself and his family. Is it going to be permanent? No, there's a time limit on it. Uh, so he's called to play soccer for a certain number of years. It's decades so far. What happens when he retires? Well, a, a, a follow-up vocation would be presented to him. Something else would be it comes to his intellect uh so his will his heart is warmed up towards that his his will embraces that it might be again something associated with soccer, maybe soccer commentary uh writing books about his uh, soccer career or whatever or you know going from city to city country to country as a celebrity you know you know speaking about his life as a soccer player whatever whatever. He would; those things are vocations as well, because they're natural actions, uh, natural natural engagements, and natural employments. uh, But uh, there's nothing sinful about that, and one can live out holiness doing that if one is a regular mass goer, uh, frequenting the sacraments regularly praying every day, being a model, a good example as a soccer player, as a commentator. Um, I noticed that Messi did the sign of the cross a couple of times during the World Cup final. Okay? what? How powerful is that if that was lived out with more regularity, authenticity, integrity? I mean, if you had Lionel, and I, I respect Lionel Messi not just for his great soccer skills, but for the fact that he does exhibit some signs of faith, uh, you know, thanksgiving to God when things go well, when he scores a goal, etc. That that's a good thing. That's that's modelling faith. There are hundreds of millions of young people watching that, seeing that, who because Messi did that, they would respect that. So that would be a vocation. Um, albeit temporary, it won't be lifelong playing soccer, so could move to something else later on. And that wouldn't be uncommon. There plenty of people who have changed their vocations during
0: the course of their life's, lifetime. Okay, so there's to be some consistency and permanency and the nature of what you're doing should either be supernatural or for, um, let's say, human or supernatural virtue. Like, obviously... You need to support your family. There's something there, not just something recreational. Yeah,
1: it's something natural, supernatural, pertaining to your life. That's regular, uh, yeah. habitual, uh, lifelong. Not necessarily lifelong, but nevertheless regular and okay.
0: habitual. So we got two, two, two ways to discern if something uh, we could categorise something as vocation. So it's consistent, consistency and permanent, or some permanency and regularity. And uh, pertaining to natural, supernatural virtue, or um, well, natural or supernatural lifestyles, lifestyle. Well, uh, okay.
1: Ah, yeah. yes, so we can say lifestyles. Yeah, yeah. You, you. As I said, we use the example of a garbage collector. But what about on the other extreme, a, a brain surgeon? What's supernatural necessarily about being a brain surgeon? Uh, it's, it's, it's strictly speaking natural. Natural, yeah. It doesn't have to do, it's got nothing to do with the soul or spirituality, okay? but it's got something to do with the human body. We need brain surgeons, we need surgeons, we need doctors, we need dentists, mm-hmm. okay? we need optometrists. They're all vocations. They're all legitimate callings, legitimate lifestyles in which we serve humanity, in which we make a, a legitimate, honest living. So they're vocations. We have to sanctify the work, though. And we sanctify the work; these natural actions, we sanctify them by consecrating them to God, offering up our work, our, our daily actions uh, that we have. A, we can live the light. We can live the practice of of a regular morning offering and, and consecrate, offer up what we do during the day, even, albeit it's just natural. Uh, together with our prayers and our sacrifices, our fasting, our penances, our mass going, okay, offer it up. That's how we sanctify that uh, regular secular work, and we and we and it becomes meritorious. Everything we do, natural or supernatural, a good, every good act we do deliberately, consciously, uh, and we're in a state of grace is meritorious. Even if it's just carrying out our normal everyday functions. Excellent. And by what I mean by meritorious, it's pleasing to God, it increases our life of grace and our reward of glory in heaven, and remits temporal punishment for sin. All those, all those particular
0: functions. Excellent, excellent. And I want to touch a little bit on uh, the charisms, the different charisms in the church, and and. How the church, how somewhat the church discerns in the, the fact that they can exist, um, like the Dominicans, you have societies of apostolic life that came out after the Second Vatican Council, you have different orders. How, um, I just want to understand them and comprehend them with respect to the vocation, and the calling, and then we'll go into some three practical tools about how to discern your vacation effectively. Mm.
1: Well, again, there's hundreds in the history of the church, have been thousands of different charisms. Look at the history of religious orders. I mean, before we had religious orders, we had men and women as individuals who called um, to consecrate their lives, specifically as individuals, to celibacy or virginity. Yep. We read many of them became a martyrs in the, in the Roman period during the years, centuries of persecution. We saw St. Anthony the Great in Egypt going into the desert. He lived until the age of, I think, 105, died in the year AD 355. He spent um, maybe 85 years as a hermit in the age of 20 onwards. Um, that that was a vocation, the, the hermetical life, the eremitical life. Then that developed and became cenobitical, that is um, a religious order, a congregation of different hermits living together in community. That's the um, religious life, formally, in, in a congregation. We had then, following from that, we had the Benedictines, from St Benedict of Nursia onwards. Um, and they became the predominant charism, Monastic charism of the West for centuries, and we had offshoots of Benedictines, the Premonstratensians, the Cistercians, the, the trappists uh, right. yeah, etc. And so, why they occurred? Well, this is how God, the Holy Spirit, was working constantly with the Church for renewal. To reinvigorate the church. What
0: I find interesting is some of these orders actually even developed their own rite of mass.
1: Yes, yes. Of mass, right, yes. Such as the Dominican yes. rite,
0: which you can go yes. to today, uh, the, mm. the Carthusian rite, the Cistercian yes. rite, the Franciscan rite, the Mozarabic. And, right. Yeah.
1: And, and God raised up new religious movements, religious orders, led by particular saints with specific charisms to meet the, the demands of the time. And we know, for example, the Dominicans were a case, was such a case where they were raised up to uh, uh, to fight heresy, yeah. the Albigensian heresy initially. And we have the Jesuits who were called through St. Ignatius of Loyola to start a new movement which wasn't stable like the Benedictines But more like dynamic shock troops that could, at the service of the Pope, living under the normal three vows, but with a fourth vow to do the will of the Pope and to meet the crisis of that age of the Reformation period, 16th, 17th centuries onwards, um, to reconquer lands for the Catholic Church that had been lost to the various Protestant uh, movements. Um, and that's been going on and, and on ever since. And we saw in the 19th century a total, a huge explosion of religious orders, predominantly teaching orders. Mm-hmm. Um, the, we saw this specifically in France, for example. And some of these orders eventually made their way to Australia, teaching orders to meet uh, the challenges of the 19th century post French Revolution or these revolutionary movements in in, in Europe. And that the faithful needed to be um, better educated, better formally educated, as secular movements were gaining momentum and secular education, public school systems, uh, and governments demanding that children attend those systems. Simultaneously, uh, you know, new religious movements were rising in the church to establish, uh, particularly teaching orders that would, you know, create good safe havens for Catholics to be educated in their faith. And of course, the secular sciences. Now, Catholic education is not so healthy today universally, but the principle remains, the valid principle remains. And the church is a teaching church and the church has teaching orders and those orders engage in mass education. Um, Whether that ideal is being lived out uh, consistently across the church You know, one can have serious doubts about that, but the principle and the ideal remains. So if there's any young people who see this video and they feel maybe inclined to be a Catholic teacher, well, let me tell you something. That's a vocation and it's a great vocation. And you're participating, you're living out your baptism and your confirmation in this particular manner. Of passing on the baton of the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ to other generations, to the next generation. That's a glorious vocation. Might not be so well paid, but that doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's well paid in other ways, spiritually, you know, grace, glory, uh, in heaven eventually. There's um, that great quote from Daniel. I can't remember exactly the chapter and the verse. I think it's in chapter 12 about those who teach many in, in righteousness will shine like the stars for all eternity. And you couldn't get a more inspirational scripture than that. Um, and, yes, there's much not going right in Catholic education across the world, but there are good things happening in Catholic education, and, and we should work to increase the amount of good things and encourage good people to, yes, be priests. Yes, be religious, brothers and, and nuns. Yes, be teachers. But yes, be married. I think another great crisis in vocation is marriage. I remember listening to Archbishop Fisher, our archbishop here in Sydney Archdiocese, speak to a group of young teachers. We Basically, near the beginning of his presentation, he spoke about the fact that now most young people do not get married. This is a colossal crisis. It's a vocational crisis. We think of vocational crisis normally in the the sense of how many people are joining the seminary? How many people are joining religious life? But we have an enormous worldwide vocational crisis in the Western world. How many young people are getting married? In 1970, over 400,000 Catholic marriages happened in the United States. There was a Catholic population of just uh, under 50 million at the time. The Catholic population now in the United States hovers at around 75 million. But last, in 2021, the number of Catholic marriages had dropped from over 400,000 50 years later to under 150,000. And that is a colossal crisis. So young people thinking about getting married, hoping to get married, should pray uh, for that vocation to be realized that they meet the person of their of their heart's desire that will be a godly person that would help them and you both of you help each other to get to heaven and help get your children to heaven the church is not going to recover until marriage recovers and family life recovers um and if people might think oh yeah really family life is not that much of a vocation well I'm sorry you're mistaken. It's a great mystery. It's a sacrament. It's, it's populating heaven with new citizens.
0: It's the vocation um, to, to, to which most are called. That's right. And about, we, can live out, live out, we can live out great,
1: um, great heroism, great sanctity, great sacrifice in, within marriage. Absolutely.
0: And now let's go into our three practical tools Robert, um, how can we take action to discern our vocations correctly without joining the order of perpetual Discerners?
1: Yeah, that's a big order, unfortunately. Uh, Well, look, let me speak. I'll speak about two examples and then I'll come to a conclusion. For me, I'm a teacher. I've been a teacher for 33 years. Before that, I was in law for eight years. I decided to become a lawyer when I was 16. I was inspired by watching a movie, Witness for the Prosecution, Charles Lawton, a classic British movie from the 1950s. Um, I felt, yeah, I was excited about the idea of being a lawyer, barrister in particular, uh, and that's the road I trod for eight years. Was it a false road? No, I think God allowed me to walk on that road. You know, I was moved in the uh, heart, I embraced it in the will, and I walked with it at law school and various law jobs for eight years. And I gained many skills through that, through that study. in being a law student, in analyzing text, definitions, things that i would use later on in my teaching and at school and university, in my lecturing, my talks, and my books, et cetera. So I, I see that that was one way of a, a pre-teaching preparation by doing law. Then how did I get into law? It was very quick. I began to lie down in bed wondering, well, you know, Westpac Banking Corporation is pretty boring. I'm not really inspired. I know one thing in my heart, I'm not gonna give my life, rest of my life to the kingdom of Westpac. There's no inspiration there. The the change to teaching happened very rapidly. You know, I was beginning to think about lying in bed. The thought will come to my mind. you know about being a teacher, and these thoughts were attractive, and I thought, well what was attractive about it at first was the longer holidays, not very not a very noble you know um, reason for becoming a teacher and began to think, well if I'm going to be a teacher, what type of teacher? I only have a law degree? Well I teach law? Could I teach law at university? I only had a bachelor's degree. Perhaps I could teach law at Tafe or whatever. anyway, I fell ill one day while at Westpac working in legal division, asked permission to go home. I was away from work for three days. And while during that three days, I visited my local parish, the monastery there at St. Charles. I was speaking to the superior, and I put to him one simple question. Father, you know, I'm not really interested in remaining in law anymore. Have you got something for me to do here? Simple question. He gave me a a direct answer. "Mm, You can teach in the school arranged a meeting with the principal signed sealed and delivered within a week it exploded within me this something inside me an excitement that has never left me I embraced it and ran with it and I keep running with it and of course it's this teaching invo- this vocation of teaching has manifested itself in different ways over the decades classroom teaching, leadership in the school, year coordinator, REC, AP, then going to university chaplaincy for the Archdiocese of Sydney, director of CCD, lecturing at Notre Dame, now manager at Sydney Catholic Schools Office, uh, responsible for faith formation of staff, youth ministry, and family evangelization, uh, in charge of a wonderful team of nine others. Um, And how do I know it's my vocation? How how does anyone know it's their vocation? God enlightens the intellect and moves the will, warms the heart. To put it in simple language, you're attracted to something. You feel it in the heart. It brings you joy. And you you say, I want that. that It is is as simple as that. It It is as uncomplicated as that. Yes, we pray about it. Yes, we ask for guidance. How does it come? Well, don't wait for skywriting, or angels to appear, or voices, or dreams. Don't wait for that. It can happen that way, but that's the extraordinary. That's the one in every 100 million, right? But for the ordinary, the way God works with us, he enlightens our intellect, moves our will, warms our heart, and makes something attractive for us, and we say, I want that. That's how God calls us. Now that was my case. I'll give you a case of something on the other ex, ex, extreme. Once, when I was um, now I'm in teaching. Now I'm in Sydney Catholic Schools office, and we were facilitating a retreat for beginning teachers. And I found a, a second year beginning teacher in a room by himself, not with the other teachers, uh, crying, really bawling his eyes out. I knew this person very well. I actually had taught this person at school. And I asked this person, well, what's wrong? What's wrong? And he said, Well, look, I'm struggling, I'm I'm suffering. I'm thinking about becoming a priest, but every time I think about it, it's just painful. I don't know if I could do it. And I said, Oh, this is the most easiest circumstances I, I circumstance I have ever had to judge. You do not have a vocation to the priesthood. If you do, you would not be suffering like this and crying when you think about it. Go back to the other room. Get married and have a family. I was as straightforward as that. Now he's married with a family, and he's has a senior leadership position in a major school in our in our system. If that person was really called to the priesthood, the the idea of the priesthood would have been attractive and enjoyable for him. He would have found joy in the thought. He said to me that all his other friends were becoming priests, therefore. He thought he should be a priest. Well, what he was really doing there was a spiritual version of keeping up with the Joneses. It was a type of pride. Oh, I got to do what my friends are doing. I got to keep up with what they're doing. If they're becoming priests, I should match them and be priests myself. No, no, that's not. That's not the test. That's you know, those other those friends of his. Yes, were were called to the priesthood. God was calling them to the priesthood, but He wasn't calling this fellow to the priesthood. He called him the teaching and he asked and he was really without that young man realizing it was asking him to remain in teaching and to uh, at the same time be married, raise a family. Uh, when I was five years into teaching, I was contemplating leaving and becoming a Benedictine monk or some other type of religious. I fell into depression. Everything collapsed. I was in hospital for weeks out of work for six weeks. Uh, And I struggled terribly with a a major, major depression episode. In hindsight, I saw that that was God's way of telling me, Robert, this idea of yours to become a priest, a monk, a religious, a great preacher, the next St. Vincent Ferrer is your will, not my will. And I will undermine your will and reinforce what I want you to do. So he enabled, he allowed me to become ill, for all my plans to collapse, to keep me, to get me back on track with his plan for me, which was to be a teacher and to remain a teacher for the rest of my life. And that's what I did. And I've never looked back. I've never been happier. Do I still have thoughts about becoming a priest? I did right up until 2015, 15 that's years into my married funny. life.
0: Well, you are Maronite, so it's never true.
1: Yeah, well, actually, I was asked by the Maronite bishop if I would consider the married priesthood. I had been thinking about it, toying with it, up until, you know, through 2013, 14, 15. But in the end, I said no. In the end, my wife said no. And she has a right to say no. And uh, because she said no, that shut the door. But I also said no. And I then decided to, to study it engaged in doctoral research. I completed that a couple of years ago. Now I'm very happy where I am, couldn't be happier. I have a great mission, a a great responsibility, and I hope I have the life and the strength to carry that through until my retirement, hopefully around the age of 65, 66, 67, et cetera. Only God knows if I'll reach that age, um, et cetera. But that's that's how one discerns. We talk about practical advice for the toolbox. Be relaxed. Be prayerful. Be open to God's will. Be patient. Don't stress. Don't be anxious. Don't demand. It will come. How will you know when it comes? You'll know when you're attracted to something, something, an ideal that you like, that you want to be. Your heart is moved your will is moved to embrace what the idea that God has planted within you. And when you embrace that, if you find happiness, if you find joy, that's your vocation and that is your road to happiness in this life and glory, salvation in the next and, and be vigilant in defending that call, be faithful in that call because vocations, legitimate vocations can be destroyed. People get married, they end up divorced, commit adultery. Uh, people join the priesthood, they become unfaithful in many ways. We've seen the scandals. The devil is always out there to derail us from our vocation. So even once we're in our vocational path, entrenched in it sacramentally, like marriage or the priesthood, etc., the devil is relentless, will want us to to derail us, to destroy us. Um but and I feel an, that that's t- not an
0: indication that we were not called to begin with. Probably it's an
1: indication that we're reinforcing our call because it's yeah. under attack. It's a good
0: call. The devil wants to divert us from that. Is it is it possible to discern the wrong vocation and enter the wrong vocation? Is it possible to
1: pursue the wrong path? Of course, it's possible because we're free agents, and we can we we can be also self-deluded. Say-
0: If we do, and in addition to that, if we do pursue the wrong uh, vocation, which could be noble, uh, could we still achieve the salvation of our soul?
1: Yes, of course, because God is good, God is loving, God is merciful, God is forgiving. I've thought this through about myself. Say, for example, I really was called to the priesthood, but I failed out of weakness or cowardice. Is that the end for me? Is that, well, I've gone into marriage now. I've gone into another noble calling, another holy state um god is always open to because god does not abandon one god still walks with a person until the moment of their death he still graces them he still calls them he opens the to them out of mercy a plan b or even a plan c Um, and we are called to live that plan b faithfully adam and eve had a plan a they fell. Did God just condemn them to hell? No, they were punished many ways, but there was a plan B. They repented. They were sorry. They had to live the rest of their lives in pain, sickness, suffering, decrepitude, and then death, working, earning their keep by the sweat of their brow. Yes, there was much temporal punishment inflicted, uh, inflicted upon them, but they was they still God still gave them a plan B. They were repentant. They, if they died in grace, they'll be in heaven now. And for the rest of humanity, we had the plan B, which was really a B plus, B triple plus, which was Jesus and
0: Mary, um, yeah. the new Adam and Eve. Excellent. Um, yeah. 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 So, funny, yeah. This idea that the ontological uh, change, so church teaches there's an ontological change in our soul when we pursue uh, um the, the priesthood there is a change in your soul, there's an ontological, is that the case with marriage and religious life? And and I have heard it said that, you know, it can't be a vocation unless there is an ontological change in your soul. Well, that's not true. There's
1: only three sacraments that, um, when we talk about ontological change to our soul, that is the the imposition of a seal, the sacramental seal or the sacramental character. And we first get that with baptism. So all believers in Christ who are anointed, baptized, incorporated into Christ, and therefore the church. There's an ontological change that comes that begins there with baptism. And now we become Christed, anointed, little Christ. And we're meant to imitate Christ. So that so in that sense it's correct. And the vocation of imitating Christ, um, is given to us with our baptism, and and with our baptism we receive. There is an ontological change that occurs with the impression of the seal upon our souls. That's enlarged with, uh, with confirmation, and it's enlarged again with the sacrament of holy order. And, yeah. but you know uh, there are vocations where uh, there are particular vocations, and the the, the vast majority, their legion vocations which uh, aren't related to a sacramental character, but are the living out of that sacramental character. All vocations that I've mentioned so far tonight, whether it be teaching, whether it be medicine, whether it be law, whether it be garbage collection, are living out our baptisms, Mm -hmm. our confirmations. Um, And so there's no sacramental seal involved in those callings. There's no sacramental seal involved with the calling to religious life you know, whether it be male or female. Uh, they, they, are, they are not clerical states. They are not sacramental states. They are uh, heroic, living out of our baptismal calling, uh, living out the evangelical councils to a heroic degree. So, yeah, the idea that the only valid vocations are those that involve a, a sacramental character is, is, is completely invalid.
0: Okay. Okay. And and uh, could we say the priesthood, because it, there is an ontological change in soul, is a higher vocation? How yes, you can say that.
1: Sing. You can say that. We're more conformed to Christ through, mm. the, through the sacrament of holy order. And you are called, we're all called in our baptism to imitate Christ. But and and through our baptism, we all become members of the baptismal priesthood, the priesthood of all believers. Uh, but when we receive holy order, and only men can receive holy order, don't listen to the dissenters in the church who are legion, uh, who who claim who wish to be Catholic in their own way, which is another way of saying being heretical. <laughs> so don't listen to them. But it's only a, it's a it's a sacrament that's only for certain men who are called, and when they receive the sacrament of holy order, they are called, uh, their, their sacramental seal is enlarged, and they are called to be more a priest like Christ than the baptismal priesthood. They are now empowered to do this in memory of me, as Christ commanded, to forgive sins of others. We can't do that through the reception of the baptismal or confirmation seals. Um, we can only do that. Only those who receive the sacrament of holy order can do that. So you're more configured to Christ mm-hmm. through the sacrament of holy order. You can do more things that Christ did um, through the sacrament of holy order. So in that sense, it's a higher calling because you're called to imitate Christ and to Action Christ to act like Christ in the world in a way greater than a normal lay person.
0: Excellent. And uh, just some final thoughts on discerning your vocation for those listening before we wrap up. Dr. Robert Haddad. Our final thoughts? Final thoughts, final message. Uh, yeah. Final message. Discern your well, vocation in 2023, at least. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> For everyone who does listen to this
1: know that our good God creates each and every one of us out of love and for love and how we are to live out that love is our vocation and that everyone no matter who you are God has a special plan for you and that's and that's what should encourage us to reinforce our self-esteem our legitimate self-esteem desire for self-esteem that That gives us our uh, emphasizes our human dignity, the road to happiness, the road, which is the road of holiness and the road to heaven. And never to allow yourself to succumb to any idea that I'm not important, I'm insignificant, God doesn't care about me. Um, No, no, no. Quite the opposite. God does care about you. You are you are significant. You are important in God's eyes. God has a special plan for you. He wants to reveal that to you. He is revealing that to you. Open your, turn on your TV. Turn on your antennas so that you can tune in to God's voice with respect to what He wants you to do, what He created you to do. Be open in prayer. Be be um, docile to the inspirations of the Holy Spirit. Docile doesn't mean being stupid. It means being open and submissive to the inspirations of the Holy Spirit to embrace that that, call, that special calling for you. And you will know what that is uh, through humility, through prayer, through openness, and, and how you are impacted in your heart, in your mind. If you're attracted to something that's inherently good and you have a desire for that, the will desires to embrace what you're attracted to, that's your vocation. And grab it, run with it, and be great in that. Don't be a mediocre husband. Don't be a mediocre father. Don't be a mediocre teacher. Don't be a mediocre priest, bishop, archbishop, cardinal, pope. Don't be a mediocre monk or or, or religious. Uh, be great. Desire to be great. Ask for the graces to be great. Be great in whatever you're called. If you're called to be a garbage collector, if you're called to be a tiler, a plumber, a concreter, a, 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 whatever it might be, be, be the best. great
0: in that. Be the best and
1: in that, Yeah, and that is your road to happiness
0: and heaven. Thank you very much, Dr. Robert Haddad. Uh, it's such a pleasure to end the year with you. And uh, I wish you your, and your family uh, a blessed Christmas and a happy new year. And we look forward Thank to you having you your too. 2022.
1: And you're living out your vocation in different ways. And this is one way you're living it out. And congratulations on doing this, George. Keep doing it. Um, you're touching people's hearts and you know, filling people's minds with goodness
0: and truth and beauty. Don't relent, just go from strength to strength. Thank you very much. And thank you very much for tuning into the Catholic Toolbox. It's been a great year. And finally, let's say goodbye to 2022. We look forward to some exciting new announcements in 2023 for another year on the Catholic Toolbox, bigger and stronger. I look forward to making some exciting announcements next year about the show and the different topics we're going to have. So thank you very much. May God bless you all. Have a blessed Christmas and a happy new year. We look forward to seeing you back on the week of the ninth. So that is the 10th of January. We'll be back on the 10th of January. Enjoy your break. Thank you for tuning into the Catholic Toolbox, the art of practical Catholicism. I'm your host and founder, George Manasse. Until next year, God bless, take care and take action.